Welcome to the Mastering Show. No, it doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm flying solo this week. Uh, that's because this week is a something a little different. It's an interview with Matt Colton from Alchemy Mastering. He's the engineer who mastered the winner of this year's Dynamic Range Day Award, which is the new James Blake album, The Colour of Anything. And I played about 10 minutes of excerpts on that on the webcast for DRD last week, uh, but we talked for well over an hour, and I thought you guys would like to, to hear that. So almost all of it is here for you to listen to. Um, I want to say thanks again to Matt for mastering such a great album, but also for doing the interview. Uh, he had his four-month-old daughter asleep on his chest for most of it. She wakes up about halfway through, and I've left some of that in, mainly because it would be a lot of work to take her out. And she doesn't really get in the way of the conversation, I'm sure you'll agree. So if you didn't listen to the Dynamic Range Day broadcast, perhaps I should quickly tell you the award is given not to the most dynamic album of the year, although especially in modern terms, this is a very dynamic album, but to the best sounding dynamic album. And if I'm honest, I would say the best sounding mainstream dynamic album. The aim of the award is to help prove that you don't need to crush your music in order to compete, in order to sell loads of copies. I'm looking for examples that prove that dynamic is the new loud. And I think this album is a perfect example of that. So without further ado, here is my interview with Matt. Matt, hi, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. And you know now that the reason I'm calling you is because... Uh, this album by James Blake has won the Dynamic Range Day Award 2016, and you were the mastering engineer on that. So congratulations for your part in that. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, and, and I don't know how much contact you have with uh, James, but maybe if you can uh, pass on the message to him, let him know. That might be fun for him to know as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely will. Um, not least because... Uh, the dynamic range was driven you know, very much by him. It was, you know, at his insistence on making this album very, very dynamic. You know, it's it it was part of his kind of vision for the record. So, I think you know, uh, not trying to speak for him, but I'm sure he will be, you know, delighted to know that. I mean. It, he 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 wanted it that way for himself, for his own listening pleasure, um, as well as him thinking it was the best way to communicate his ideas. Uh, and uh, you know the fact that people like yourself have kind of it's obviously worked. Basically, you know it it resonates with people like yourself. So I'm sure he'll be delighted, you know, because it was fully intentional and and part of his kind of artistic vision if you like so um i absolutely will be uh, you know i'll speak to him in the next couple of days and let him know that's brilliant and i mean it's at the risk of being hideously corny that is literally music to my ears because you know that's the kind of thing we want to hear is that you know artists understand the, the the benefits of going for a more dynamic sound and and you know kind of follow that through um and it's great to hear so did you uh, did he come into work with you was it an attended session uh, no, not on this occasion. So, um, so James and I have worked together. I've, I've mastered sort of ninety nine percent of the records that he's made. Um, uh, we first worked together probably sort of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, something like that. Um, and uh, you know, initially doing uh, you know all of the work uh, attended and. Um, uh, you know, this time round, and we did an EP about a year ago, or something like that, uh, which was also unattended. You know, I, I think partly because we've worked together so much. You know, he he trusts, he knows me, he trusts me, um, and you know, we've kind of our communication has become pretty good in terms of knowing. You know, I kind of know roughly what I think he's going to want, and. You know, he's very comfortable in kind of directing me 
you know, from a distance as well. So um, for those reasons, and also because he was actually spending quite a lot of time in LA mm-hmm. uh, during and the mastering of this record actually took place over about three months, I would say. Really? Okay. So we, yeah, yeah. I mean, we started it mid-January. Um, um, we always knew it was going to be, I mean, mostly with album mastering, I'm, I'm sure it's probably, you know, the same with you. You know, with me, it's it's kind of like a sort of one to two day process, you know, in general. You yeah. know, usually you, you sort of, you know, start in the morning, you kind of finish by, you know, sort of early evening. And then, you know, that's kind of day one. And then, you know, there'll be a second day of, you know, sort of recalls and tweaks and, you know, running out parts and that kind of thing. And that's normally what happens. Um, we always knew that this album wasn't going to be like that, partly because the second, uh, so this is James's third album, James's second album, uh, we also did over a period of months. And um, the mastering process is part of the way that James kind of finishes up, if you know what I mean. So it's, uh, you know, he'll get things to a point, you know, and then we'll master it and kind of put, you know, a sort of work in progress album together and then that will help him to kind of just sort of fully refine the ideas, if you know what I mean. So then, you know, there'll be a case of that going back to mixes and So so he's listening to what you do, then maybe making some revisions and coming back and, and sending you new new mixes and stuff. Yeah, just I, I think I mean when you're sort of making a record and especially so James writes everything himself, you know, plays every instrument, you know, programs every single beat, um, uh, records it all himself, mixes it himself, do you know what I mean? So it's very much, um, although he's got a, a sort of artistic overview, I think probably the kind of sonic overview, it's too difficult to sort of have that, um, or to have that kind of perfect, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so it's a case of, you know, so in sort of mid-January, I mastered all of the tracks. And, you know, there were more tracks. It's a long album anyway, but there, I think there's three or four tracks that we also mastered, you know, that aren't actually on the record as well. So, you know, it was a big body of work. And, you know, that kind of first stage, as well as, you know, from my point of view, is about trying out, you know, a few different um, sort of signal paths and, you know, trying to get in my head how I felt the album should sound. Um, so it was useful for me, but you know, for James and also his management and stuff, um, it was a case of bringing all the tracks together so that they were all a kind of uniform loudness and a you know a sort of uniform tonality, so that they could then start you know, well, how does this become an album? Do you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. running order and, and everything else, and you know, from there, some mixes changed, some arrangements changed, um, you know, and and various other things. Uh, you know, where we just kind of slowly refined it. I mean, when I say that the mastering took uh, three months, obviously it wasn't, you know, I wasn't mastering every day for three months. You know, that no. was, I think, you know, there were there were sort of four main sessions, if you like, sort of four kind of day-long sessions and then various sort of tweaks, you know, in between. Um, and, yeah, um, you know, some tracks... You know, we used from the very first session. You know, that was, you know, everything about them was perfect and, and sort of remained unchanged onto the album. Um, you know, and various other things we just kind of tweaked along the way. Um, but the dynamics were all the way along. Um, you know, it was, it was very, very important to James that, you know, this wasn't allowed record was that um, something was that something that was new on this album had he been moving in that direction because anyway, that the previous album was it wasn't stupid loud but it was somewhat louder wasn't it yeah and um i don't know if you listened to the first album the first album's really loud so uh you know the, the first album uh you know his mixes were extremely loud and it was kind of coming out of kind of dubstep and club music and and you know was still very much uh it was that kind of record with hints of songs and hints of, of ballads on there and that kind of thing, but very much, you know, more towards the kind of uh, sort of club and, you know, sort of banging heavy bass kind of dubstep sort of sound. So mm. that, that was very loud. And we consciously moved away from it for the second one 
because it got more songy. Um, and that was something that, that kind of, I guess it was, it was conscious in, in my mind. Um, because basically when I tried to make it as loud as the first one, it just killed the record. Um, and, you know, James, I don't think he particularly thought about it, but, you know, we just tried a few things and he liked, you know, the more dynamic sound, you know, of um, you know, the grown album relative to the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas with this one, um, you know, he was very much all the way along, you know, Matt, just back off those limiters, you know, back off that compression you know we don't need it, it you know, you know and um it's it was very interesting i mean it, it was a period where i was actually working on a, another very big album big in terms of number of tracks and everything else it was also a, another sort of successful electronic music artist um in the edm genre and that album i also mastered over several probably you know several sessions probably again over two months um and it, that had the complete opposite brief. You know, that was literally, you know, this needs to be the loudest record ever made. And, I, you know, some days, you know, I'd, I'd do a day on this record and then the next day on James Blake. And it was, it was I mean, it was a learning experience, you know, for me. Um, completely different mindset. Completely different mindset and actually quite difficult as well, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, it's just, you know, sort of difficult to you know, kind of rain back in on James's record and then ramp back up to the other one. Um, but, uh, you know, which, uh, I mean, ultimately uh, I managed, you know, both, they're, they're both coming out and, and everyone's happy. Um, but yeah, you know, with James's thing, you know, it, it got to the point um, where he actually sat down with um, a, a guy who sort of worked as, uh, basically came in as a sort of engineering assistant um, just to, to run out mixes and, you know, print instrumentals and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a, another friend of mine and I was speaking to him and they actually had the conversation where, you know, James had said, what's, you know, what's the point of, of the loudness? You know, literally, like, what I don't understand. Mm. You know, if we don't like the way it sounds, then what? you know, what, what, why, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, uh, um, you know, the, the, the guy who was assisting him sort of, you know, like, well, in terms of, you know, being on, you know, Spotify on the radio competing with other things. And, and, you know, James was just like, I'm, I'm just not interested. You know, these, these words just, that sentence means nothing to me. It's, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah, it doesn't work either. That's the thing. Everybody thinks no, no, that you need to, to do it in order for Spotify and radio. But those are exactly the places where being super loud in the first place won't help. You know, you'll, you'll no, end no. up getting averaged out to be the same as everything else. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, th- this is the thing. So, um, you know, following on from that conversation, uh, you know, I, I spoke with his manager and, and you know, we had a, a similar conversation. He said, you know, are we going to be penalised in some way, you know, in terms of when people are listening? You know, and, and I said exactly what you just said, you know, now because of our one to eight and, and all the other things, you know, um, you know, the, the sort of the whole, you know, he was familiar with soundcheck on iTunes, you know, which was how I sort of explained it to him. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of happening across the board, this sort of, this averaging out, um, you know, and if you listen to a, a like if you listen to a radio station now in the UK or in Europe, you know, a digital radio station, um, and they're playing music from different decades, mm. you know, you listen, you hear the, the stuff, you know, something that was done sort of mid 80s or something that was done in you know, early 90s, which is then followed by a contemporary recording. And it's horrific. You, you just sort of, you, know, you hang your head in shame and think, well, how have we gone so far backwards? You know, I mean, it, it, like, where, where's the snare drum gone and everything and, and all the rest of it? So, um, you know, his, his management, you know, was then like, okay, well, well, yeah, then why let's just make it as dynamic as James wants, you know? Now, that, um, see, that is so great to hear. And for, for several reasons. I mean, because one thing is, of course, I'm talking to you and obviously the person responsible ultimately for the sound of the record is James. So in a way, the award is for him. But yes, actually, yeah. 
that conversation there, you just earned the award for yourself, right? Because, you know, that still takes guts. When somebody says, are we going to be penalised? You know, to be able to look them metaphorically in the eye and say no, you know, there's a lot of people who will back away from that. They'll start to kind of fudge and hedge their bets and all the rest of it. Um, and I think, you know, it's great that you felt able to say that and that they accepted it, you know, that, that his manager kind of, you know, believed you and, and went with it and went with James's vision because that's how we get progress in all of this. You know, the more albums like this and Random Access Memories by Daft Punk and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Uptown Funk and all of these kind of more dynamic uh, songs, the more of them make it out into the real world and are successful even so, that's where the proof comes from. That's where... You know, that's how more people will kind of start to take the leap. And maybe we even might get some dynamic EDM again, which would be nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Uptown Funk is, is one that, um, you know, when uh, that's an example that I, you know, quite often use. You know, when this kind of thing crops up, it's like, you know, there haven't been many records that have been more successful than that in the past few years. Um, it's pretty dynamic. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, by modern standards especially. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, you know, in, in this era, and and certainly considering it's a you know, big sort of US pop record. Mm. Um, although, I mean, as, um, uh, you know, as you said in your post, um, or, or one of your posts recently, that there is a bit of a trend in US pop. You know, things are stepping back. I mean, I am... Um, I remember checking it, you know, a, a Beyonce record of kind of two or three years ago, um, and was like, okay, this is actually this isn't very loud, you know, all things considered. It's, no, it's, um, it's interesting, and and her new album is even less loud, actually. Um, I have, yeah, I haven't checked the new one. The yet. latest album and the new that. Drake album are both um, they're still they're louder than james's album um yeah. and, and yeah. there are two or three songs on each of them that are really really loud and distorted and stuff but my guess is that that's how they came in from the mix in fact i was speaking to chris athens who mastered the drake album um and mm. he was saying that's basically what happened he took the loudest songs from the mix and those were kind of his reference points he didn't make those any louder and then he yeah. balanced everything else relative to them to that you know yeah. which and thankfully they weren't they're still pretty loud, but you know, they, 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 both of those albums sound really good. And yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that the trend, I mean, it's funny. I would never actually have thought that that trend would have come from, uh, the States. Um, no, no, but it is no, it's it, great to see it happening. Was it, was yeah. it kind of a refreshing change to, to work on something where you weren't kind of just slamming everything or was it, it kind was, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, um, you know, just a, a kind of different, yeah, yeah just just something different which is always interesting and you know a different set of well i guess i mean when i started doing this um my approach was kind of make something sound how i want it to sound you know what i mean so you know very sort of balanced with eq and you know get the dynamics to how i want it to be so you know the drums are kind of performing however I want. You're talking about when you started mastering, yeah? When I started mastering, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, I started um, in 97 when I got my first mastering job. Mm-hmm. And then I'd sort of, you know, add limiting to try and kind of make it as, as sort of, you know, loud as I could whilst what I'd just done was intact, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. you sort of make it sound good and then make it sound, you know, as loud as you can whilst still sounding good Mm. um and you know probably about five years ago for a lot of work i started working the other way around which was you know i'm going to have to make this loud and then once i've got it to that loudness point i'm then going to have to try and work to make it sound good do you see what i mean Mm -hmm. so instead of approaching the kind of you know the tonal balance first and then the dynamics you know you start by approaching the dynamics and then, you know, seeing, you know, how best you can kind of tidy it up afterwards. And that's kind of complete, completely wrong, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not, yeah. you know, if that's how you have to work, that's how you have to work. And and there's a do, plenty of skill involved in doing that well. But that, for me, is taking a technical consideration first the and, and the music coming second. Whereas Absolutely. what we Completely. love, prefer to do is, you know, 
just do the best thing for the music. And then, yeah. yes, you have to get all yeah. the technical details right and you make it technically good, technically as good as you can as well. But ultimately, it's about the music. It's about the sound. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, it's not the case that I would do that on every session. I mean, you know. No. I, 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 I work mostly on contemporary music, I would say, you know, probably 70% contemporary music. Yeah, and, and by that, I mean, you know, kind of upfront pop and dance and all that kind of stuff, um, which is, you know, where traditionally, as you know, we kind of get asked to kind of push things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but obviously not everything that I do, um, I would approach with that mindset. I mean, for me, you know, the, the dynamics have to uh, be appropriate for the recording and the style of music and you know all those kinds of things um but yeah um it's it's really really nice you know when you get something like this whereby you know the the only dynamic processing that we used was was just because we like the sound of it do you know what i mean and that's you know, that was the only reason for using any dynamics processing. That's how it should be. <laughs> yeah. And I, quite, quite, you know. Um, and the great news is that that's going to that's gonna have the best, because, I mean, you were saying, you know, that it's nice that somebody like me can appreciate it, but it's not just kind of me in my ivory loudness tower. Um, you know, I've as soon as I started mentioning this, I got a ton of replies back from people going, yes, absolutely, it sounds amazing. Um, yeah. And a lot of the uh, reviews have mentioned how you know, sophisticated the production is, not in a kind of overly produced kind of bland kind of way that some people might think, but just saying, you know, it's clever, it's inventive, it works musically. And of course, all of that comes from James, but also you have to, you know, make sure that makes it onto the final master. So, yes, absolutely. And and, um, one thing that really struck me, and in fact, it was on um, the track with... um, Bonnie Bear, uh, I need a forest fire. You know, originally we had a more compressed version of that, um, and you know, which I really liked. You know, it, it had a, a kind of a, a body to it. You know, it, it had a, a sort of solidity. Um, and I've been listening to it in the car, and it's a, you know, it's a great track. It's a wonderful piece of music. Mm great vocals and you know lovely hooks and it, it, you know it's it's obviously one of the high high points of the record mm. and i really felt that we cracked it um you know and then we decided to you know sort of back the limiting off uh i think we took about two and a half db you know off the gain on the limiter so i mean limiting wise often on the record you know there's none um probably you know for the most part it's kind of one and a half to sort of three db of limiting um and and kind of that's you know that's it i mean there is the the occasional sort of massive like synth based sweep or something like that which you know might have a little bit more than that but um you know so so we then sort of back the limiting off um on this track by two and a half db so it's yeah it, it's really just a tickle of limiting this which is the version that's on the album and i just put that on in the car um and i was just driving you know just driving around sort of late at night and and just just stuck it on and i was stunned at how much there, there were backing vocals that i hadn't heard before do you know what i mean mm-hmm. there was there, there was things going on um, and there's quite a lot of stereo in the vocals on that track. Um, not not panning, but, you know, sort of kind of broad stereo and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it it just, it, it all just, you know, appeared. And there was so much that I hadn't heard, you know, because the, the sort of, you know, the dynamic reduction that we had 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 smushed everything together. And, you know, yes, we'd kind of, got some more body into the track by, by bringing up those, you know, bringing the average level up, if you like, you know, bringing up the, the sort of lower, uh, quieter bits. But um, it just meant that we lost definition on on something that it turns out was like of fundamental importance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, 
it was like a light bulb moment. It, it, at that point, we kind of set the dynamics for the album, or the, this kind of overall loudness, I should say. You know, it was that that kind of defined it because, um, you know, it's like, oh, okay, right, yeah, that's that's what we're doing. That's the record that we're making. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm so pleased about is that actually, because I'm sure, I'm hoping that this will get lots more publicity and people will talk about this, you know, and, and maybe it'll be another landmark album in this the sort of the process that's my hope mm. maybe i'm just yeah. being in you know kind of pipe dreaming but even if that happens i'm pretty sure some people are going to come back and go yeah but it's a quiet record you know it's an atmospheric yeah. record it's meant to be quiet it's not meant to be that loud um and i mean i kind of have two replies to that i mean one yes that's right but the loud moments are really loud yeah um you know so it's not like yeah, that the big moments aren't held back. It's not, and and there are some big moments on there, even though overall mm. it's quite mellow and it's quite chilled out and atmospheric. But the other, the the kind of the paradox about that is actually it would have been quite easy technically to make it two or three dBs louder. And most people, like you, when you had that louder version, you wouldn't know what was missing. You only know that no. when you hear the comparison. You know when you when it's given that extra little bit of space. To, to, to breathe suddenly that's when it kind of leaps out at you and i know exactly what you mean it's i kind of it's it's part of that three-dimensionality thing um i always think this sometimes when i'm watching you know because i've done some blu-ray authoring and so i've got a decent sized tv at home but hand on heart if i'm sitting there watching everyday tv can i tell the difference between the pristine blu-ray picture and a decent dvd maybe maybe not except that suddenly i realized i could and the thing that surprised me was it was it was not in a clarity uh way in terms of looking at the picture it was to do with the depth of the image i could yeah i could see things further back i was more aware of the you know the the composition of of scenes or the, the contrast between the foreground and the background and all the rest of it and that's yeah. where that kind of extra quotes resolution in the image worked visually and i kind of think the same thing applies to audio except that we're not talking about resolution it's just it's about dynamics it's about you know the, the peak to loudness ratio having that and i just think it does it yeah you start to you can just hear more more of everything yeah and and it does i mean yeah you know in layman's terms the, the more you compress something the less front to back perspective mm. you have the, the less less depth perspective i mean this is um you know, with one of the things, you know, whenever, you know, people are talking to me about multi-channel audio, um, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, you can get three-dimensional audio from two speakers. Mm -hmm. You know, a stereo setup will give you, it doesn't just give you left to right, it doesn't just give you, you know, height information, but, you know, if it's done well and if it's a good recording, you will get front to back and, you know, you will get a sense of, um, you know, depth in the audio. And, and obviously, you know, that is what you lose or, you know, erode with, you know, the more compression that you have. And, and um, yeah, you know, this particular record is a, is a great example of that, you know. Um, I mean, I, I liked your comment, you know, which I completely agree with, which is, um, you know, after you've been listening for five minutes, you, you know, you go to the volume control and you turn it up because mm -hmm. you're engaged and you're enjoying it and, and, you know, you want more. And, and the good thing is you turn it up and it doesn't get hard or it doesn't get brittle or it doesn't get fatiguing, um, you know, because it's not, you know, just sort of 8K square waves, you know, being drilled into your brain. Yeah, um, it, it, just, it just gets better. And yeah. it's, it's that kind of weird thing of, uh, you know, all of this is supposed to have happened because louder is better, but it's louder at the volume control, not yeah. not in the in the file, not on not in the digits. Yeah, well, it's, it's because yeah, everything's got louder, but the um, yeah the, the dynamic ratio is unchanged because you, you turned up you turn up the amplifier. You know, you haven't had to sort of artificially um, you know raise the average level to make it feel louder. You know, as you, as as you probably know, you know, I I cut a lot of vinyl records. Mm -hmm. You know, cut a lot of vinyl masters, and it's one of the most enjoyable things um, about that process is we can, you know, make more dynamic 
perversely you know it's, i mean this is this is how ridiculous it is you know vinyl which has a far worse signal to noise ratio than um you know than a, even a 16-bit you know sort of digital recording yeah. yet we we can make it more dynamic you know partly because no one really knows what we're doing do you know what i mean it's, <laughs> it's um you know you can it, get away with it it's well, you can get away with it. You know, there's there's no one looking over my shoulder saying, you know, is this going to be as you know loud as the Metallica album or whatever. You know, it's it's you never really have that conversation when you're cutting vinyl. So, you know, you can take all the limiters off or whatever, and and just you know, the dynamics processing that you have on the cut is just what you want for the sound. You know, mm-hmm. and you kind of cut it. If you want to cut it louder, then you add gain to it you know it, um and i i think that's so i was slightly digressed here but i think that's that's one of the reasons part of the reason at least um as to why there's been a, a, a sort of vinyl renaissance um or why certainly some people think that vinyl might sound better or have a different sound is that you know actually um you know, when it's done well, it probably is a bit more dynamic. Mm. Uh, and so it is a bit less fatiguing to listen to. And so you do listen for a bit longer and you get more engaged. Um, that's a digression. I think that's true. That's, and it, it's something that I say to people, you know, I, and it's not, I mean, you know, I love vinyl. I grew up with vinyl. Um, mm. I can't bear the end of side distortion, but otherwise I'm not happy with no, the, no. the rumble and the clicks and the pops and all that kind of stuff. And, and just, yeah. just the whole, you know, the artwork and putting it there and feeling the needle drop on the record, all of that. There's there's all of those reasons that people might prefer the sound of vinyl, but the, the sound that goes onto the vinyl is probably more important. And so my advice to people is master your CD as though it were going to vinyl. Um, Completely. You know, I mean, I've I've had plenty of masters over my career that got sent off to Abbey Road and Heathmans and wherever and got cut flat because that's yeah. how I was trained and it still works. And if more people yeah. cut their CDs as though they were going to be cutting to vinyl, you know, a, a big chunk of this problem would just kind of magically vanish overnight. Um, yeah, well, this is it. I mean, I, I guess the thing is, you know, if we're saying that, um, you know, one of the things people are enjoying about the sound of vinyl is that it's more dynamic. Well, that isn't vinyl specific, you know, there's in, in, in quite the opposite, you know, which is what dynamic range data is all about is that, you know, we can be that dynamic with digital. And in fact, it's more appropriate to be that dynamic with digital because we don't have, you know, the noise floor down at, you know, sort of, you know, 40 dB below the kind of peak of the signal. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's, you know, the, the noise floor is, is twice as low as that or, or whatever, you know, we don't have clicks and all that kind of thing. So, um, it's even more appropriate on digital. Yeah. If, if they would cut a, a CD as it was going to vinyl, it could sound even better. It, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed that that's the way that it's going to go because, and, and thank you for you and James for kind of playing a part in that. Who knows? Maybe it could be quite a big part. You know, I'm, I, I think this record deserves to be hugely successful. I hope it will be. Yes. Yeah, me too. Me too. Let's, uh, let's hope that the trend continues in future. Just for anybody listening, you work at Alchemy Mastering, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Alchemy is uh, myself, um, Barry Grint, and Phil Kinraid. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got um, you know, a little complex of studios in West London that uh, we put together four years ago. And uh, yeah, you know, just... Um, an independent company that the three of us own and uh yeah you know it's going really well um touching lots of wood here but yeah you know we we work on a wide variety of projects and um you know quite a lot of different kinds of music um and uh yeah it's um (laughs) i was just chiming in here and it's going pretty well i think fantastic so how did you get into mastering um, I got into mastering, uh, well, I worked in a radio station. Oh. So um, I got a job at a radio station when I was 19. Uh, I, they um, took me on as a, a, a YTS, you know, youth training scheme, mm-hmm. as it was, so a sort of internship equivalent um, is what it would be today, uh, to work in the commercial production department. Uh, for some reason, they thought that I would, you know, be kind of useful in writing radio commercials um partly because i'd 
think I told them that I would be because <laughs> uh, that's what they were looking for um, and I really needed a job and uh, you know we tried that but actually I was I was pretty terrible at writing radio commercials but um, writing music or, or writing scripts no writing scripts yeah okay. um, uh, but we used to make uh, the commercials on site so we made uh, made a commercials for four radio stations um, and uh you know, we had a studio which uh, had, you know, sort of three Revoxes in it, um, you know, some CD players, some um, cart machine, you know, analog cartridge mm-hmm. machines and, uh, you know, a desk in it. Um, I can't remember what kind of desk it is, uh, what kind of desk it was. Um, and, uh, yeah, so um, I'd, I'd basically been playing, you know, drums and guitar from the age of 12, you know, and playing in, da- in bands and, you know, playing gigs, and putting on gigs and, you know, but made a couple of demos, you know, in, in a couple of sort of reasonable studios and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'd got into programming a few years before, um, just on, uh, in fact, on, on an Atari computer, um, piece of software called Music X, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, was just a little MIDI sequencer. Uh, you know, so I was kind of doing all of that. And, um, you know, uh, radio station was kind of the closest sort of thing to working in music that, you know, I had found at that point in time in Somerset, which is where I was from, yeah. where I am from. Uh, and, um, you know, so the fact that there was this kind of studio with, you know, a desk in it and microphones and kind of bits of equipment, you know, obviously that, that kind of, you know, really resonated with me. So I I sort of managed to kind of become the guy who made all the commercials Mm -hmm. fairly quickly, actually. Um, You know, I think I I sort of had a natural, a a natural attitude for it as well as, you know, really wanting to do it. Um, And, you know, from there, you know, I ended up, um, you know, making jingles and, and making programs for the shows um, and then driving outside broadcasts and then, you know, I had my own show um, and assisted on other shows. So, you know, just just kind of general sort of um, studio-based kind of technical roles within the, the radio station. Um, and uh, um, I met uh, a couple of people there. Um, interestingly enough, Jeremy Carl used to work there. He was a good friend of mine. Oh, yeah. um, so I used to help him out on his Saturday show before he went off and became uber famous <laughs> as uh, the Jeremy Carl that we know and love today. Yeah. Uh, and um, another guy uh, had a show on Sundays. Um, his name is Mike Marsh, and he's a mastering engineer yeah, at the Exchange. And um, at uh, at the Exchange. And so the radio station was in South Somerset and, and, and Mike is from Devon and he had a house in Devon that he would work in London Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the exchange and then, you know, come back to Devon and, and spend the weekends in Devon. And he, um, you know, he's a big radio kind of nut and, and he had a show on Sundays and I had a show on Saturday nights and, and you know, through the radio station we met. Um, and, you know, he's a cool guy, uh, you know, he's someone I sort of looked up to and, uh, you know, we used to go out to beers every now and then, that kind of thing. Um, and I remember uh, being in the pub with him, you know, one weekend and he got a phone call, you know, on his, his sort of mobile phone. And, you know, I mean, it was pretty cool that he had a mobile phone that <laughs> I found that quite... This is like a brick, impressive. was it, at that point? Yeah, you know, sort of 1995, big analogue, yeah, suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mobile phone. Um, but he, he took a phone call and, uh, yeah, he, he was just sort of like, you know, uh, so you two want to book me for two weeks in June. Oh, I'm on holiday. Can you see if they can wait till, like, beginning of July? <laughs> yeah, and this was, like I said, this was 1995, you know, so you two, I mean, whatever you think about you two, you know, in 1995, they were the biggest band in the world. There's, yeah. there's probably no question about that. Um, and so, you know, sort of, he finished the phone call and I was like, I'm sorry, what do you do? <laughs> You've just told you two that they have to wait for two weeks because you're on holiday. What do you do? I want to do that. Well, you know, it's like I have to reassess um, what I think about you. You're a nice guy who has a radio show is what I thought you were but it turns out there's a lot more to you um, and 
and and so he told me he, you know, he was a master engineer he worked in the studio at, you know at, called the exchange in london and, and he invited me to kind of come and, and sort of hang you know for a day so i went in and sat in with him you know for a few hours and you know sat on the big sofa in the back of the room with the enormous speakers and you know the cutting lathes and the analog eqs and the tape machines and you know it's like well this is my idea of heaven you know mm-hmm. i have no idea what you're doing and what's going on but um you know, there's all this like really interesting, sexy looking kit, you know, it's records are being cut, you know, the music sounds incredible out of these enormous speakers and, you know, it's, you've got your feet up on the desk. This is just everything about this is exactly what I want from my life. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I was like, okay, great. So that's, I, I want to be you. So that's, that's what I want to do with my life. So how do I, how do I get a job as a mastering engineer? And, uh, you know, he was like, um, well, I don't really know, you know, I, I guess uh, just have a look in the back of Music Week. And so because I worked in the radio station, you know, we used to get Music Week every week. Um, and so the next copy you know, came along and, uh, you know, I had a look in the back and there was an advert for um, a trainee to start at a London-based mastering studio. Um, so I applied for that and got the job and that was a place called Porky's Mastering which yeah. was uh, um, no longer there but uh, yeah sort of kind of legendary studio in, in the middle of Soho yeah. Um, and uh, yeah it's kind of it, it, you know at the time it's like oh, okay so it's as easy as that basically um, you know looking back obviously I mean I don't read Music Week kind of religiously anymore but you know I'm well aware that there's not many jobs for sort of trainee mastering engineers kind of appear in the back of music week well especially not as somewhere like the caliber of porkies so if, no, if, for, for that to be there in the week that you just happened to look it, it literally was um you know when you sort of think uh you know I, I don't know what your own personal beliefs are or anyone else's you know but fate karma whatever you know you sort of think the universe had a plan for me that day you know yeah, what i mean that's, it's absolutely. Like, that's very yeah. cool this, this is this is obviously what I was supposed to do. I'm, and don't get me wrong, you know, it, there's there's been kind of hard times, and it, you know, it's not been like you know, uh, sort of all plain sailing ever since then. But um, you know, I certainly, uh, you know, so basically, I was 21 when I started at Porky's. Um, That's interesting because because I always say to people I'm unusual because I started out as a mastering. You know, lots of people do other stuff and then get into mastering. Um, but I was trained as a mastering engineer pretty much from the ground up as well. Um, so it sounds yeah. like we've had quite a similar path in that way. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. A lot of people obviously come to it from other kind of recording disciplines and all the rest of it. Um, and I, I never have, you know, I've, I've, I've never like professionally recorded anything or professionally mixed anything. Um, yeah, I've done a, a fair amount of um, unprofessional recording, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for my own, uh, you know, doing stuff for free or for mates and, and yeah, my own stuff um, but yeah no, literally I, I kind of I pretty much yeah pretty much only ever been a mastering engineer well it's also interesting because um, I don't know whether you've read Ken Scott's book um, but he talks about the early days of, of Abbey Road and the fact that everybody there started out in the cutting room. Well, you did the tape library first, then you did the cutting room, and it was only when you completely understood um, the limitations of the format, because back then it was all vinyl, then you were allowed yeah. to go into the studio and do the stuff that was going to go onto that format. And I think that's helped me, because I have done a bit of recording and mixing over the years, and I think it's actually really useful to, to have a kind of detailed understanding of the end of the process in order to do a good job to what leads up to it. So if you ever did go into that, well, I, I bet your kind of home recordings sound as good, if not better than a lot of professional recordings. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know about that, but I mean, certainly I think I probably have a better idea of what I'm trying to do, um, you know, when I'm doing some recording. Mm. I mean, I do, you know, it's one of the reasons, in fact, that, uh, you know, when I, when I do stuff, of my own is in fact so that I have some understanding of what my clients are doing, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I remember when Ableton came out, you know, and, 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 and playing on that periodically, you know, just so that, 
you know, I, I don't ever want to be sat in my studio and just have no idea what my clients are talking about, you know, and, and no idea what they've been through. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I need to know, not be an expert on, on everything, but I need to have some understanding. I mean, basically, you know, mastering, the, a large part of it is, is kind of empathy. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it's um, It's trying to understand, you know, what your clients are trying to achieve and and in any way that you can kind of you know build up your rapport and your your kind of empathetic understanding of of your clients i think is is really beneficial to your work and and so yeah having some idea of you know synthesizers and sampling and, and all these other things you know um microphones and mic techniques all these things that are absolutely no use to me in terms of what I do for a living on a kind of day-to-day things that I would use sort of basis you know it's actually I think very important to you know to have that understanding um yeah I I completely agree and I I think it's useful also to having some having some musical knowledge you know being able to Mm. like um so I did uh, physics and music at university and that the physics was kind of like quantum mechanics and thermodynamics and this that and the other and, and the music was you know harmonizing Bach chorales and learning about Mozart, Beethoven, Stravinsky, Schoenberg and all the rest of it um, but at the same time I was I was into rock and pop music and dance music and all the rest of it so I've always found it an advantage that you know I can talk to an EDM artist about you know the build and the drop and you know like you say, synths, but at the same time, I can talk to a classical artist about, you know, the, the pianissimo section after the, you know, on the second da capo or whatever it is, understanding yeah. all of that as well. It all helps because you're absolutely right. It's all about empathy and it, and it's about building a relationship. You know, people are. Much, yeah. And, and, and building trust and everything else, isn't it? Yeah. You Cause know? They, they've got to trust you with their music, haven't they? So. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that's quite a big deal. You know, I mean, we can do a lot of damage yeah. <laughs> if we get it wrong. You know, we we can, um, you know, portray someone's music in, in in a very bad light if we don't do our jobs properly. Um, and so, you know, I I, I don't um, I try not to take it for granted. You know, when when people are, are choosing to work with me, you know, it is, you know, that there, there's a sort of responsibility there. You know, it it, it it's not just you know. A sort of a, another job do you know what i mean it's you know to to the artist um this is obviously something that's, that's of huge importance you know something they've created and, and mm. sort of, you know thrown a huge amount of energy and love and, and everything else into um so it, yeah i think all those kind of things are really important um they're what makes the job interesting aren't they mm, yeah and, and challenging and, and satisfying to do you know but you're right yeah it's a huge responsibility um and we're the kind of final stage in the chain if if we get it wrong then x thousand tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of cds get pressed and the files go up all around the world and yeah it's it's kind of quite scary actually when you think about it in that way but so i try not to <laughs> yeah well about me you. too <laughs> <laughs> me too the only other thing i was going to ask you was just whether um, the James Blake album is um, the exception to the rule, whether it's still really unusual for you to have somebody interested in dynamics and wanting more dynamic mastering, or whether you're seeing a bit of a trend, whether other people are asking for those things as well. Um, I, I would say definitely more so now than, uh, say, five years ago. I, I think, um, you know, still... I'd say, you know, still if people comment on the dynamics of the work that I've done, it, more people would be asking for me to turn it up than asking me to turn it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but the number of people that are asking me to turn it down is greater now than at any time, certainly in the last five years, yeah. I would say, you know, probably in the last 10 years. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think it's changing. I, and I, I do think, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm 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 really pleased uh, about R128. I think that's made a huge difference, you know, because it was always a myth about how loud things are on the radio anyway, you know, in terms of, um, you know, oh, if you make it more compressed, it's going to sound louder on the radio. You know, that... Yeah, it, it all went through broadcast case. processing anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But now, 
now that there is an actual kind of you know specification and it does actually work as well you know you can just go back and say no that isn't the case you know there's enshrined in you know EVU law um so you know that's really helped and you know it's it's amazing that you know people like Spotify have you know followed suit um and uh and I believe YouTube as well I mean I know you've looked into this something yeah, YouTube. YouTube um, it's a little bit flaky on YouTube. It, they, especially with back catalogue, not not everything mm. goes through. But yeah, I mean, here's here's the ironic thing. You know, if you uh, there's a playlist uh, that I put together that's in, in a blog post somewhere where there is a song from uh, I think the Drake album. There's a song from James's album, and there's a song from the new Radiohead album, which is a kind of much more old school, heavily crushed. I mean, it, it still sounds good. Um, but it's much much louder um, yeah. by like five or six dBs louder. But yeah. on YouTube, you listen to those three back to back. The loudness is similar, and to be honest, the loudest moments of um, "I Need a Forest Fire" are probably louder than either of the other two albums. Really? Um, just, yeah. And you know, the, the, it's. I mean, one of the other things that I, I kind of quite like about it is that it's unpredictable. I mean, ideally I would like everybody to use R128 because I think it's the best way of matching loudness. And then, you know, it's a standard that everybody can work to. On the other hand, then you have the risks that people will try and game it. If they know exactly what's going to happen when it goes out on YouTube or wherever, you know, they can try and fake it. Work out how to defeat it. Yeah. Whereas, whereas currently, but you just can't tell, you know, sound check might make it a little bit louder. YouTube might make it a little bit quieter. Spotify might be. So it's kind of, it even reinforces more the message that it really, you know, the loudness is irrelevant. Just make it sound good. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the the music will do do its thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the radio, you know, Radiohead records have always been very loud. Um, for the most part, it sounds really good. Uh, I think it would be interesting. I mean, the thing with a band like that is you do wonder, not that what they do sounds bad, whether it could sound better that's the thing if it was done differently yeah i don't i'm sure you've had similar thoughts because you know this is not a kind of like balls to the wall music you know from start to finish you know it's not acdc um you know it's it's about contrast it's about detail you know there's a lot of finesse there's a lot of you know intricacy and, and delicacy to the to the actual music that for me isn't necessarily always represented by the you know the sonic i completely agree i mean if you go back to something like the bends um you know if you like creep when those kind of you know the chugger guitar chords come in in that and when it kicks in um that really is dynamic um and it just has this huge power and yeah i i listen to their more recent stuff and think if they could take advantage of that and use that as well as everything else they're doing i just i think it would just lift it up to another level um yeah. so yeah i agree it's not that i kind of listen to it and think oh this sounds horrible i just kind of feel like there's potential there that's being missed out on um so you know hopefully maybe we'll see a move by them and, and other people like them as well in in the future um and you've done your bit to hopefully help us get there so yeah yeah you. well you know it, it'd be really interesting you know i haven't seen any comments in regards to james's album uh, that are negative when talking about you know the, the loudness or, or lack thereof i mean that's not to say that there aren't people that don't find it too quiet and, and, i know, i literally haven't too. seen any i've seen people all all the stuff i've seen about the sound has been positive um mm, yeah you know i mean there's because I've kind of got into little conversations about it and there's people going oh well this giving reasons why it would work for this and not for other things but yeah nobody who actually kind of I've heard he said well no you know it doesn't sound right I had one person who didn't like the kick drum sound uh, on I need a forest (laughs) fire but I'm kind of like yeah that's a that's a creative decision that's not that's nothing to do with the loudness or the dynamics no 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 you can't please everyone well exactly you know definitely not (laughs) Well, listen, fantastic. Thank you. Um, oh, that was the only. I, I guess I oh, don't let's worry about that because I'm not about the gear. I was going to ask you what your, what kind of processing chain you used and stuff on the albums, but I think my whole message is it ain't what you use; it's the way that you use it. So, um, no, I mean, well, I mean, very very briefly on that note, um, I sort of periodically, you know, change things in my studio, 
uh, always because it makes a definite improvement. And then when you listen back to something you did, you know, kind of a couple of years previously or in a different incarnation of the studio, um, it always sounds pretty damn good. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 uh, I, probably about two years ago, um, I got a Sontek EQ for my room, which I really like. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, that, uh, along, I had that alongside um, the uh, the passive valve EQ that I was using and was in love with it and, and just stopped using the valve EQ because the Sontek EQ sounded better to the point where I actually took the valve EQ out and it went into a different room in Alchemy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as is the way of these things, I had to recall something and it was a super rush and, you know, the valve EQ was being used in another room and I, I couldn't get it back in time. So I just had to apply my recall notes to the Sontek EQ, which is very, very different, you know, obviously mm. solid state, you know, not passive EQ, but I kind of dialed in sort of same appropriate settings. And it sounded really similar. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting <laughs> because the two units sound very different and they make you work in a different way. But, you know, kind of applying the same sort of, it, it, it was a lot closer than um than I thought it would be. But, uh, yeah, so uh, um, to cut to the chase, on James's record, uh, I had um, Sontek EQ, uh, occasional bits of compression from the Maslek MLA-3, mm-hmm. uh, the multiband. Uh, usually there wasn't any gain reduction going on on that. Um, so having it in sort of three-band mode um, not really compressing or maybe just like, you know, kind of quarter dB, half dB of gain reduction on mid, um, just a bit of, sort of 1.4 to 1. But really, you know, that was just a bit more of a kind of shape to the sound as opposed to any actual squashing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on some of the tracks, uh, it was some tech EQ going to the dangerous compressor. Mm-hmm. Um, just a single band compressor. Uh, and um, uh, plug-in wise, uh, I think the limiting on everything was the fab filter except for the track Modern Soul, which was um, the hardware L2. Mm-hmm. And so, so just very, so because I've been experimenting with the, the fab filter and I quite like it. Do you, do you use it in with the default configuration, or because there are four different um, modes you can use it in, aren't there? In the advanced tab, do you mess around with those at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fully, fully tweaked. Do you have a Do you have a favourite <laughs> mode? I, I like punchy personally. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I tend to anything kind of electronic. You know, punchy does seem to respect the kick drum a, a little bit more. Mm. I think, and 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 seems to work best. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, if you go into the presets as well, uh, you know, starting off with some presets uh, as a as a kind of jumping off point, um, you know, can be really good. So uh, that's interesting. I haven't played it, with the presets on that. Maybe I should. Yeah, I mean, if so, for dance stuff, um, I usually start. There's one called House Loud and Punchy, um, and that's. That's kind of quite good for, for you know the house and techno and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and with James's, uh, actually use one of the hip hop settings. But they are fairly brutal, um, so uh, I dialed in a bit more look ahead. Mm-hmm. So um, you know the look ahead instead of being instantaneous, you know, is a bit more like you know one one and a half milliseconds or something like that mm-hmm. um i'm not looking at it right now so i can't quite remember what the the scale is mm-hmm. um and uh you know and, and obviously changing kind of attack and release times and all that kind of stuff uh but yeah I, the, the fab filter i think is definitely one of the better plug-in limiters in terms of you know it doesn't necessarily completely destroy the musicality of what you're doing and there's a lot of flexibility so you can kind of get in and you know well the thing i like about the punchy as a starting point is that actually i think you're right it's a bit more musical it's actually harder to push it too hard 
you start to push yeah. it too hard and it starts you know it'll it'll pump or it'll start cracking up or whatever but i quite yeah. i quite like that that's that's it's like one of my other favorites is the the tc limiter yeah. you know you should come with the brick six, wall. yeah the brick wall you should come with the system 6000 and and again it's i would say that they're kind of whereas some of the other plugins that i've tried you can actually get very very clean results and you kind of you keep pushing it up and pushing it up and pushing it. Up. It's only when you hit bypass that you realize everything that you've lost, you know, because because yeah. it, it's yeah. so clean and so it's kind of. I like the fact that though the TZ and and the Fab Filter kind of have a little bit of a sound to them when you when you make them work, and that that can a it can contribute to the overall sound of what you're working on, um, and yeah, and b it's kind of it helps stop you going or helps stop me going over the top when I'm using them. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Quite a few sort of digital limiters, um, because they all sound different. You know, that's that's the thing. And, uh, you know, because it is a, a, often a necessary evil of what we're doing. Um, yeah, well, I mean, to a certain extent, they can contribute positively. But, yeah, especially when you have to push yeah, them hard well, is, is when the differences become more important. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, you can, you know, without changing the EQ that's going into it, you know, you can, you can get quite different results, mm. yeah, which is interesting. So um, what, um, what software do you use for mastering? using Sadie or Sequoia? Or Sequoia. Sequoia. Yeah, Sequoia. Is that what you've always used or where did you? Uh, so I switched from Sadie probably about, yeah, six, seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, How about speakers? What speakers do you have? Uh, speakers, um, ATC FEM 150s. Okay. Uh, I really like ATCs. Um, not because, I, you know, they're not the nicest sounding uh, studio monitors, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't think they're kind of overly flattering. Well, that's not uh, what you want, is it? Think, that's 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 the funny thing yeah, about mastering yeah. speakers is it kind of in some or, or speakers in general. On the whole, the better the speakers, the worse they make things sound because they reveal all the problems that you might not notice on a, on a cheaper pair. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've found, um, you know, at, at Alchemy when it was at Center Point, you know, I was working on BMWs and and kind of everything sounded pretty good. Um, and then you know, upper air we had. You know the Pioneer had reference ones. You know, it's a crazy pair of insanely good sounding hi-fi speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, my concern when working on really nice hi-fi speakers is whether I'm actually kind of leaning into it enough. Do you know what I mean? Or, or whether um, everything's being a bit flattered. Do you see what I mean? I do. It's interesting because I'm still a B and W man, um, and I've because I've been to. Nick Watson's place, Fluid. Um, they got they got yeah. PMCs. They sound really good. Um, I think I my I worry that if I moved over to them, I would be tempted to overdo everything because I'd be looking for that kind of that really big kind of voluptuous B and W sound. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah. to a degree, it's I mean, it's whatever you're used to, isn't it? It's the uh, yeah. You know, you can adjust yeah. it to anything, providing there's a certain level of quality there. But um, yeah, no, absolutely, and obviously it's all very room dependent. But yeah, no, I mean, I, mm. I'm very happy with the ATCs because I think they, you know, when, when it sounds good, it sounds really good in the room, mm. you know. But I don't think they're kind of overly flattering stuff. If it doesn't sound good, then yeah. it, it probably isn't that great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are all of the rooms at um, Alchemy set up the same, or do you have different? configurations no. okay <laughs> no. is it different different speakers as well yeah very yeah yeah so um so barry's room uh he's got uh kef hi-fi speakers oh really okay yeah uh and then um the the, the sort of third main room is, is under construction so uh the third room is currently kind of you know a, a sort of prep suite which has just got some um yeah a cheap pair of krks uh, okay which is you know something something to hear what's yeah to get working not, on yeah 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 you want to hear if it's playing or not and <laughs> is there a plan for that or are you going to audition different speakers to go in there and figure out um, what works? Well, it's going to be down to phil um i mean i think in the first instance uh it's going to be another pair of cast hi-fi speakers it, it's, a, it's a personal thing isn't it um completely yeah you know if you, you've got to sit in front of them for you know five days a week you know, sort of 10 11 12 hours a day mm-hmm. so you know, and you've got to get good work out of it. So work out how best to do that. I mean, um, 
yeah. tell you j- j- uh, just um something funny um you know that that it's absolutely true that the, what i say in the blog post about putting james's album on and kind of wanting to turn it up and turn it up and turn it up it got to the point where i basically listened to probably the second half of it and i kind of looked down and realized that actually it was smack on the the mastering level in my room um and actually you know i was listening to it thinking this is exactly what i would have done with this album um which just made me smile because it's like you know that's usually the true the, the, the case when i hear professionally mastered stuff i always think that's a that's a that's a good sign you know that 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 tells us that we're all working towards the same goal we've all you know i like that yeah. idea that actually you know yes there's taste involved and all of the rest of it but actually i th- i think if you leave most pro- pros uh, to their own devices, they'll get results that are very much... I mean, the same with things like, you know, Daft Punk and Uptown Funk and all the rest of it, and, and some of the classic stuff, you know, the I don't know, the Beatles remasters. You just listen to them and go, yeah, that's, that's just, it's just yeah. right, you know? That's right, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, my pleasure, um, my pleasure. And congratulations on, on the album, you know, the award is just one of those things, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic thing. Um, I think you should be really, really proud of it. And anybody who wants to find out more about you and what you've done, uh, is it alchemymastering.com? It, it is indeed. Yeah, and everybody head over to alchemymastering.com, check out Matt, check out his track record. So yeah, um, like I say, congratulations again, and uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Dan, my pleasure. No, thank you very much. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed actually doing the interview. And please let me know what you think of this episode. If you like it, maybe there are some other engineers I can interview in the future as well. Please head over and give us a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. You can find more information about Dynamic Range Day at dynamicrangeday.com. And as always, the show notes for this episode are on themasteringshow.com. Do head over there, sign up for the email hot list, and come and say hello on social media if you'd like. I'm at Ian Shepherd on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook as well. Steve will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.